According to the National Center for Drug Abuse, over 165 million Americans ages 12 and up are currently abusing drugs or alcohol. Of those 165 million Americans, there is a mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or grandparent praying and pleading that they would stop. Addiction is a subject most people don't like to talk about and is kept behind closed doors. But the Finding Hope podcast will bring light to the subject and give families that are living in shame, guilt, hopelessness, fear, worry, and anger tools and education to find strength, peace, happiness, joy, and hope. Hello, I'm Amy LaRue, Finding Hope Coordinator for Hope is Alive Ministries and your host for this Finding Hope podcast. At Hope is Alive, our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. We do this through our intentional next level sober living homes and faith-based support groups for the loved ones of addicts called Finding Hope. Thank you for joining me today. I've asked Charles Gossett to join me. He is a certified life purpose coach and a certified addiction recovery coach with his own business, Full Integration Coaching, based in Oklahoma City. His focus is on empowering passionate difference makers to lead courageous, authentic lives so that they can find and fulfill their purpose, whether that's the purpose of a lifetime or the purpose of this time in life. So welcome, Charles. Thanks, Amy. I'm so glad to be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. You know, there's a, a lot of things going on uh, in, in my life and in business. And we just had, we have two daughters and, uh-huh. our, and our youngest just graduated high school. Oh, how are you doing with that? We're, we're doing okay. okay. <laughs> we're doing the best we can. So we're still learning as we go, but no, things are good. Good. So tell us, I met you, it's been before 2020, before COVID. I remember like you came and spoke at one of our meetings here in Oklahoma City and I got to hear your story and then COVID hit and then we reconnected um, at a place called AMP where it's addiction, mental health professionals come together here in Oklahoma City, Tulsa, um, just to help you know, connect one another in this field and just to bring hope and resources to those struggling with mental health and um, substance use disorder. So um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, so a little bit about me, I guess, first and foremost, uh, I'm a person in long term recovery from addiction. So Mm -hmm. specifically alcoholism and some substance use disorder. With uh, primary, I had anxiety, and then depression first. And once I started um, experimenting with alcohol and other substances, I found that those helped Mm. some of those symptoms and they relieved like the anxiety and the sense of depression and isolation that I felt in my teenage years. Uh, The short story is that worked for a while until it didn't. Mm. And um, when it stopped working, then I started really looking for solutions. And it took me about five years of actually trying, failing, learning, growing, and uh, finding my way forward into a life of recovery, which, by the grace of God, uh, happened in February of 2006. So wow, congratulations. As, thank you so much. Yeah. So as of this year, I have 17 years of continuous awesome. sobriety. Yeah, it's I'm better without alcohol. That's mm-hmm. that's my shortest story that I tell people. And life is better without it for me. Yeah. So that's my story of recovery, but equally important is the family side. 
So I'd like to take just like a minute or two to share. My wife, Christy, gives me permission to share parts of her story. And Christy was on the other side of this. So she was like my side of it as a wife. Your side of it. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, once I found recovery and started sponsoring other folks like myself in recovery through a 12-step program, then I started to understand more about the family dynamics. Mm. And uh, I remember there's been some instances that had happened, but one of them was I was in a sober living house Mm -hmm. and I lost my career job due to my addiction and and challenges that I had just with coping with, with life. And um, I was uh, mowing lawns with an individual who had come from sales, a six figure sales earner. And uh, we were mowing lawns in the neighborhood to make some money. And I remember he had relapsed, but didn't tell me, but he had all the symptoms. And so he was injecting cocaine in his neck and uh, not telling me that he was back to doing that. And uh, all of all those behaviors were there. And I was, I was communicating with my wife. We were separated at the time because she had had enough and she was preserving her sanity and making sure that she was going to be able to provide a life for our two young daughters that were less than one and three years old at the time. Mm -hmm. So part of my living in a sober living house was I was not welcome home. Uh, Rightfully so. She needed to know that she could get on with life regardless. Still loved me, but, uh, but needed to do something different for herself. So that was key. But we were communicating by phone Mm -hmm. and seeing each other some. So the long short story is this friend of mine in the sober living house had relapsed, was not talking about it. I noticed the symptoms, he was not telling the truth to mm. me, which is what we do when yeah. we're in active addiction. And uh, I remember talking to my wife and just like, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm feeling, but here's what's going on. And uh, it's just new to me. And she said, it sounds like you love an alcoholic. Mm. And I thought the waterworks just started right then. I just started crying shortly after the call. And I thought, oh, I get it. I get mm. it. Because that's her experience. She had lived with that for 15, almost 20 years. And so she knew what it was like on the other side. So from that moment, those, there were some other moments too. I really started looking at the family side. Okay. And I went through the 12 steps on my side, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the person in, in recovery from addiction, from substances or alcohol, and then went to the other side which is Al-Anon and other programs, understanding codependency and enabling and enmeshment and all these things. Since then, I've really been interested in and also working with families and being a support in that way as well. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. So your, your shift is kind of through all of that is how can I work with these families? So through um, going to the Al-Anon and doing some of the research and working with families, what have you learned through all of that? What would you, I mean, most of my listeners are those um, that love someone with a substance use. Some of our loved ones are in recovery. Some of them are not. So what would you tell someone that loves somebody in that? What have you learned through all that? Yeah, it's a great question, right? So there's a lot there, but um, I know we had, we'd spoken a little bit off mic, like uh, we might look at the concept of detachment mm-hmm. with love. And that's a hard one because people are like, how can I detach and still love them? Yeah, it's very, it's very subtle and it can be complicated. It's not as simple as it sounds, but I, I will say just briefly. So in my, in my practice, my business is called Full Integration Coaching. And I do two different things. One is I do life coaching, 
with a special emphasis on purpose and mm-hmm. meaning, those folks may or may not be in recovery. Okay. Uh, then secondly, I'm a certified addiction recovery coach, and I work with people in in recovery from addictions, but also with family members that are that may be struggling or you know trying to find their way forward from yeah. that end. So just briefly on that. One of the biggest things that I learned was really um, this concept of detachment with love. One example, before I define it, is another instance where my wife uh, played a really key role in my recovery, but also in her own, of course, was I was still actively drinking. Uh, I had not found recovery yet, and I was drinking on the way home from work. So it was just so intense. I couldn't get through a day without alcohol. And so I remember I'd had a pint of whiskey on the way home and it was like a 10 minute drive. And so I don't advise that that was illegal activity and not safe, but uh, that's where my addiction was at the time. So I got, I got to the door. My wife knew that it was a struggle and I had some days that I could stay sober and some that I couldn't. And she met me at the door and she said, first thing she said is hi. We said hi. And she said, how did it go? And I said, it went all right but I might need to get some beer tonight. And she said, okay. And she turned around and and left the door open and walked into the other room. And where she was walking was an online Al-Anon meeting. Wow. And so my wife had already started practicing this principle of detachment with love. And that was a prime example right then. So let me stop you real quick. You are still actively drinking and using Mm -hmm. and your wife saw started to seek recovery for herself through Al-Anon and support groups yep. for that. Yep. Okay. And church and her church family would break okay. into that too. So we're people of faith. And so she had found both. And so, yeah, she had found resources that were online, which back in the day, this was 2000. Yeah. It's not so. like it was during the zoom stuff that we're having now. There right? was no zoom. <laughs> there was no video chats. Are you kidding me? We didn't have enough bandwidth to do those things back in the day. So these were chat rooms that she was, uh, you know, literally typing back and forth with, with folks from around the country. And she was finding some resources that she mm, needed because remember, good. There, yeah, and she's, she's one of my favorite people, Christy is, and, and I mean that because she really showed the way for our family. Mm. I wanted recovery. I'm not ashamed or, or, you know, I have some remorse still, but I'm not ashamed of that. That was addiction. That was, that was dysfunction. I was caught in the grips of it at the mm-hmm. time. I wish that I wasn't. That's the remorse. But I didn't know what I know now. And so my wife really set the tone and led the way by, by seeking her own recovery, learning what she could control, what she couldn't, what mm. was something she could influence, something that she couldn't. So in that moment uh, at the door, that mm-hmm. example that I just gave, she was really detaching. She still loved me, but she was disconnecting from this dysfunctional, uh, Can I say the chaos? The chaos right? of it. Yeah. Right. She was, she was really literally d- disconnecting from that chaos and leaning into sanity and things that she could control and manage, making sure that she uh, was also providing for our kids. Because after a night of drinking, that wasn't going to be coming from me. So our kids were less than one and three at the time. So young. Yeah. I mean... I say it all the time in my meetings and with people I talk to. It's like once the family starts getting healthy and well, it gives the opportunity for our loved ones. And that's what your wife was doing, it sounds like. Um, I know she's not here. Maybe we should have invited her. I might need to have her back. Um, But she started getting healthy and well, learning the tools, 
never, you know, sounds like she loved you. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like we say you love them enough to detach. She was detaching, um, herself. Sometimes we talk about the chaos we were saying the, um, you know, it's like, I can love you, but I can still move forward. You know, I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm going to, I don't love the addiction and what that's doing, but I love who you are. So what other, you know, when, and like I said earlier, this is one of those topics that people hate, like, especially, you know, finding hope we're faith-based and like, how Mm -hmm. is that, um, Mm Christ-like? Like I get that, you know, and one story I use, um, is the prodigal son, Yeah, you know, is that father watching his son leave and he could have easily gone and rescued his son, but would his son have learned a lesson in that? No. Right. You know, it would have just been a, probably a battle going back and forth and no, you know, nothing good coming out of it. But his son, he watched his son leave, never stopped loving him. And, you know, the son, you know, did lost all the money, all that, the, the pigs and all that, you know, the story. And then he comes back and his father's there with open arms, loving him. Mm-hmm. And he knew his father was going to be there and loved him. And I hear that, um, I think Jenna was on our last one talking about like, I knew my mom always loved me. And I know that, you know, I hear that like we might not, they might not say it in their active addiction, but they know that love is there. So what other tools or tips might you have for um, those that need help with this detachment with love? Yeah, absolutely. And that story is central to my faith journey Mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, um, the father actually runs out to the wayward son Mm. as he's approaching. As he's coming back. As he's coming. He leaves the home to meet his son because he's so happy or Mm -hmm. um, just fulfilled to, to know that his son has returned. That is the image of God to me mm-hmm. in the world, both. And also for the, for the son who did everything right, that stayed mm-hmm. at home. It's an instructive story in a lot of different Oh, there's so many. Yes. <laughs> but back and I definitely relate to the prodigal, to the wayward son who went away and, and, uh, and spent his early inheritance, which was way wrong back in the day, you know, in that culture and in that time to ask for early inheritance and then to go waste it, which is just shameful. Mm-hmm. So there was forgiveness of shame mm-hmm. and there was and there was reconciliation of you know broken promises and broken families and and so yeah I found that tremendously healing. Uh, but yeah some other tips so just one definition that I like to use for this concept mm-hmm. of detachment with love comes from Hazel and Betty Ford and it goes like this it says detachment with love means caring enough about others to allow them to learn from their mistakes. And it also means being responsible for our own welfare and making decisions that do not seek to control others. Oh, that's good. Will you say it one more time? I will for the people in the back. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So detachment with love means two things, caring enough about others to allow them to learn from their mistakes so to learn from their mistakes. To learn from their mistakes. Everyone in substance use disorder needs that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Without it, they're not going to be able to break through. Second, it means being responsible for our own welfare and making decisions that do not seek to control others. Ooh, that's hard. <laughs> that's very hard. 
So it's, it's both of those things. And um, so on, on the idea of allowing others to learn from their mistakes, you know, consequences, mm-hmm. cause and effect. Yeah. We really need to be able to see it. It's, it's understandable that a family member would want to protect uh, and one of us struggling from uh, really harmful consequences. There's many, many examples. One is I'm too sick to call into work. I remember this happening in my own household. And I remember my wife maybe doing that once or twice and then a point where she didn't. Mm. And so that, that forced me to, to call in myself and tell them whatever reasons came into my head. So I had to really confront my own illness in that time. I really, it gave me at least the opportunity to say, you know what, this isn't working. Yeah. And so that's why consequences are important. So the individual, the one struggling, can have the opportunity to learn and say, you know what, maybe I do need help. Maybe I do need to go to those meetings. Maybe I do need to pray, whatever that is. So it provides them the opportunity to learn and grow, and we all need that. And that second piece as the family members, we need to be responsible for our own health and well-being. Absolutely. Yeah, and I talk about it a lot. It's so much easier said than done because we really pour into our loved ones. They take up all of our uh, mental space and our emotional space, understandably, but we also need to be uh, the best that we can be. So remembering to try to enjoy life, even in the middle of chaos, it means trusting that things are going to work out or if they don't, that life is going to move on. That's the hardest one. Well, and sometimes I say when you feel like you need to go rescue, mm-hmm. that person is like, why don't you rescue yourself in that moment? How can you rescue yourself for, you know, that time? Like, and it's hard. Sometimes I talk to people and they're like, I don't even know. Because I always ask, what are you going to do for yourself today? Sometimes yeah. I, in my conversations with people on the phone. And they have a hard time even being able to say what they enjoy and what they like to do. And so yes. it's just taking that time instead of going to rescue, rescue, rescue them, rescue yourself for once, mm-hmm. you know, and it might not feel natural at the time, but the more you do it, the more it will feel natural. And then it will allow them to feel their consequences. Right. At the same time. Mm-hmm. Yes. By, by detaching, it means reclaiming your life. Mm-hmm. You're not ceasing to love, uh, to love. Mm-hmm. your child, or the one that you're caring for. It's not about that. It's about recognizing what addiction really is. It's so much more complex. And really, they're the ones that have to be willing to get treatment or to get care for their uh, their own recovery. So we can do what we can do, but we cannot control them. We cannot coerce them. Those of you that are listening and you're like, nope, I haven't been able to either. You know when you know. If you're early into this a battle, so to speak, you'll learn uh, as uh, we have learned also that mm-hmm. you cannot control this thing. You didn't cause it. Um, you can't coerce them. You can't really change it. But like any, uh, any one of us on the planet, you can do what you can do to change yourself. Mm-hmm. And an important part of parents and loved ones on that end is remembering who you are. Mm-hmm. Have you, do you, when is the last time you did something that you enjoyed doing? That's a, one that I ask parents a lot. Yeah. And were you able to enjoy it? And if not, it's time to do that. You deserve it. You need it. They're going to be where your loved one is going to be where they're at in their own journey, right? Still going to be there. And maybe you can come back with a fresh perspective, right? Set some boundaries, some expectations Mm -hmm. if they're living with you or if they're asking for resources from you, et cetera. 
and you can uh, draw those lines a little more clearly in conversation with them later. Yeah, and you know, nothing's going to change if nothing changes, That's right? It. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So if you're continuing, you're not detaching, you're not investing. It's just the cycle's just going to go. It's just going to get uglier and uglier, and you're going to build more resentment, more resentment, and you're going to try to control it even more. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're going to get nowhere but more frustration and that resentment and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. So what would you tell someone who is like, okay, I need to do this. What would be their first step? What would you maybe like, how do I go about this? Like, cause I tell everyone like our recovery is one step at a time. It's not going all the way up to the top of the staircase. We have to take it one step at a time. Then we take the next step. Right. And then before we know it, we do have our life back. Um, so what would you say for someone listening that is struggling with that, that they want to do this? What would be their first step? It's a little bit different for each person, of course. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to be ultimately honest about it. But essentially, in terms of detaching with love, learning, learning more, what does that mean? Mm. What does it mean to me in my own life at this point in my relationship with my loved one? What does that look like? And there's different ways that can look. So, but essentially it means what I always suggest people start at is the level of identity, meaning recognizing the difference between substance use disorder mm-hmm. or addiction and your child. Mm. And what, the way that I help uh, parents to frame that is to, they're two different things. You have your child who is experiencing substance use disorder. And yes, it definitely changes them Mm -hmm. and it can drive you crazy and break your heart and scare you and all these things. Absolutely. But to remember that there's a difference. They are experiencing substance use disorder, which is causing all of these symptoms, all of these changes that you see in them. They're still there underneath there of these symptoms somewhere. So start there. And to remember, uh, number two, that, that you're worth a life that's lived out in fullness that you deserve as much as anybody else on the planet to live a full life. It doesn't mean that you're not going to walk around with a broken heart. Mm -hmm. You may, you can still experience joy. And a lot of parents say, that's just not right. I would feel guilty. Yeah. I'm I'm so scared and that's okay. I don't force this. Right. Definitely work with yourself on this, work with Jesus on this, pray about it. But what I found is that over and over, parents can find a little bit of joy um, <clears throat> if they're still married, you know, and, and date each other. Mm. You know, get out of the house. If, if your loved one is still, if your child's living at home, get out of the house with each other. Go do something fun. Uh, remember what it's like to be in love. Mm. If you're not married, then find a support group. You know, find, you know, go to Finding Hope support groups and connect with others. Um, go to Al-Anon meetings or whatever, uh, church groups, whatever that is for you. Get out there. If you're isolated and feeling disconnected and all of your time and energy and focus is on your child and their substance use disorder, that's not healthy. It's not, no. It's not helping them, and it's certainly not helping you because really the substance use disorder now is taking everyone with it. Save yourself, and it doesn't mean you're abandoning your loved one. So there's a couple of of quick tips. They're hard, but that's the place to start. Well, I love what you said, you know, to start that, but to be in a support group for others who understand it. Yes. You know, talking about the struggle because I hear like, oh, my friends tell me just to 
you know, cut everything off. Like, you know, they don't understand the chaos of it. But when you're with other people in the support group and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. How did you get through it? You know, I'm really trying to detach. I need your help. I need you to, how did you detach from this? Or how did you stop um, enabling? Or how did you set those firm boundaries? Like, that's why we have these groups. Because I say, you don't get it unless you live it. Yep. You know, and you get it. Your wife gets it. Um, but somebody else might not get it. And so to get involved in a group, you know, we have Zoom meetings, we have, you know, in-person meetings or any other type of support group that is so important to have that strength. And just this week, I got a text from one of my leaders and I had talked to one of her members, try not to give, you know, any information out, but I've been trying to work on boundaries with this member. Um, every time we were talking, I was like, okay, where's your boundary on this? You know, where's that one boundary? And, you know, it kind of, and we were talking about the detachment with it all. And there's something that happened this week um, with her loved one, um, a big storm, a big, you know, thing that happened. And she was able to have a firm boundary and detach from it. But what she did that day, she could have just easily stayed home and isolated herself. Yeah. She got up and went to a meeting. There you go. And it was just like, that's, she knew the safe place. She knew what she had to do. It wasn't easy, Mm-mm. but she was able to then go to that meeting where she could say, Hey guys, this is what I did. And we can encourage her in that and support her through it. And I, when I got that text, I was like, Oh, yay, you know, and yeah. so how important it is through all of this to be involved in some sort of support group. Absolutely. Um, it's key, Amy, on that. I would just echo you on that. So if that individual is listening right now, good on you. Yes. That's winning. <laughs> you did it. You did the hard thing. You mm-hmm. did the good thing. And that's potentially going to change your family dynamics. Doesn't mean that it will, but it could by you taking those healthy behaviors and modeling Mm-hmm. what healthy living looks like that could be uh, witnessed by your loved one at some point. I know it has been by my wife, Christy. That's why I say that I have firsthand experience with that. Mm-hmm. I look back at those experiences that didn't mean uh, much to me at the time. And I'm like, oh, she was changing the story. Mm. She was changing how the relationship was going to be. That's what the word boundaries really means. It's like expectations about how we behave and and, and how we treat one another and ourselves. And she was setting up some new dynamics. And I'm like, I look back on her now and I'm like, what? That was incredible. That must've been so hard. And she said it was. It and was. How, do you remember how you felt in all of that when she was doing that? Oh yeah, of course. So I was in the moments that I was in active addiction, uh-huh. resentful, uh-huh. <laughs> abandoned, you know, all the things, um, you know, lonely. Absolutely. And those are all, by the way, parents, those are symptoms of the illness. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it can break your heart to see your loved one. Let them experience some of those. Still love them, but uh, let them experience those consequences and maybe they'll lean into treatment and go to their own support meeting, etc. Yeah. Well, before we wrap it up, I like to ask um, if there's anything else you want to share with our listeners, um, any tips or advice or anything else you think, you know, would be good for them to hear tonight. I think, you know, I think we've covered a lot of it, at least in, in 30 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. But maybe just ending ending with the, this quote. And oh, then, I love quotes. Yeah, this is, a, this is a good, now, it's a mindful, not a mouthful, it's a mindful <laughs> quote. So, so you might have to play this back. But 
this uh, quote comes from the Forum, which is the Al Anon uh, anonymous journal, you know, uh, magazine from uh, March of last year, 2022. So here's the quote: it says, "Practicing detachment with love brings the focus back to myself." And allows me to move closer to others by accepting them and myself as we are. One more time. Practicing detachment with love brings the focus back to myself and allows me to move closer to others by accepting them and myself as we are. What this really is all about with addiction and the family, it's about the battle, of course. And it's about acceptance or surrender. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding the reality of what's actually going on. So educate yourself about the family dynamics of addiction. Learn with this detachment what role that plays. It's critical to understand it uh, and in your, own, in your own way because it can shift your entire family. And if not, it can give you a pathway forward that's full of hope and full of possibilities no matter who goes with you or not. And so uh, just leaning back in to my own experience, I'm grateful for what Christy did mm-hmm. because it provided true hope for her, our children, and then ultimately for me. Now, I did a lot of work too, right? So mm-hmm. I don't want to understate that. I did a lot of work, but I thank God that we had the opportunity to do the work because of some actions that my wife and other family members took. So do the hard thing, learn about this, and uh, start practicing detachment with love. I love that. And so um, I love that you can also go back and say how grateful you are with it. I'm sure, like we talked just a little bit ago, like how you were angry probably and all those things. Oh, yeah. You know, when she, you know, yeah. Yeah, lost. (laughs) You know, so I love that. So thank you again so much. And I like to um, leave our listeners with a challenge, like what we listen now, how can we apply what we just heard? And so a couple of things I wrote down as you were talking is it's time to reclaim your life. Oh yeah. Right. That's our first challenge. Like yes. reclaim your life, figure out who you are, mm-hmm. you know, what have you enjoyed? What do you enjoy? What was your hobbies that maybe you haven't been doing? Start doing that today again. And, you know, take that first step. Let's figure out what that first step is to detach. And maybe your first step, honestly, is to get to a meeting and talk to others that have been there. So um, after listening to this, I hope you guys um, can do that. Find yourself again and reclaim your life. So thank you so much for joining me this week. And you can learn more about Finding Hope at findinghope.today. But before you go, I would love for you to give us a five-star review and share this on social media and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next hope-filled episode. Thanks again for joining me, Amy LaRue, and our special guest, Charles Gossett. And you can learn more about his coaching um, st- um business as well. And we'll put all that information in our show notes today, Charles. So thank you and joining us today. And remember, you're not alone. It's not your fault. There is hope. This episode of the Finding Hope podcast was brought to you by Hope is Alive Ministries. To learn more about Hope is Alive, visit our website at hopeisalive.net. If you are in need of immediate assistance, don't wait. Call us now at 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. 
find out more about Finding Hope and how you can get involved in a meeting close to you, visit findinghope.today.